0: You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Inside Healthcare. I'm your host, Matt Brock, Communications Director here at NCQA. And today we have a really great guest talking about a really great topic uh, that is really hot right now. Everyone is talking about the social determinants of health and how health plans, how physicians, how the health systems, or the health system as a whole, addresses uh, this issue. Because increasingly, we're all figuring out that there's more to health than medicine, that there are some other things that go along with it. Joining us today is Katherine McPherson, She is the Vice President for Product Strategy and Development and Chief Nutrition Officer for Mom's Meals. Mom's Meals, you ask. Well, Catherine's going to tell us. Tell us about Mom's Meals.
1: Hi, Matt. It's so great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Um, Yeah, I'll start by telling about mom's meals. I'll tell the story of mom. So um, mom is a real person. Really? Yes. So uh, she's Barb Anderson. She's one of the co-founders of the company. Uh, 20 years ago, she found herself uh, in a caregiver's role, like many of us are. Uh, So she was caring for an aging mother and an aging mother-in-law, both of whom had chronic conditions and were aging at home independent uh, in their own homes. At the same time, she also had a son off at college, uh, Iowa State University, who was a college athlete. So he was a hockey player, golf team member, and uh, he was losing weight. Um, Her mom and mother-in-law weren't faring very well nutritionally. And she said, you know, what can I do as a caregiver? So she started to prepare large portions of, you know, family favorite meals and deliver those to her family members. And uh, her friends said, This is a wonderful idea. I wish there was a service like this for my family. And she sensed, you know, there was an opportunity here. And the family said, let's make this into a family business.
0: But this is not a family, I guess it could be, I don't know for sure. (laughs) But uh, it's not a family business where we're making box, it's not Blue Apron. It is not. (laughs) That's what I guess my point is, is. It is to address this sort of extended uh, responsibility that we, many of uh, folks of a certain age, uh, have, which is people to take care of below, people to take care of above. Yes. And you're p- torn in two directions. And mom's aims to sort of pull you back into shape, correct?
1: Yes, yes, absolutely.
0: And that has become increasingly important in the healthcare landscape, as I said in the intro it's really hot everyone in the business right now in the sort of healthcare uh sector is talking about social determinants of health and how we as caregivers as providers as insurers address that because we know that these things impact treatment of your illnesses treatment of your overall health too what you get access to that sort of thing mm-hmm. so uh, we know we're working on it Give us an idea of what you see in the healthcare landscape mm-hmm. for mom's meals and for all of us
1: I mean it's so exciting to hear even the term social determinants of health I think you know the the, the company's been around for 20 years we've been providing healthy meals delivered to the home for the duration of that time providing good nutrition. Uh, to, to impact people's clinical outcomes, um, help them remain independent at home, help them manage chronic conditions, et cetera, for all of that time. Um, but the, the awareness today that um, social determinants really make up the bulk of, of health outcomes. So uh, about 80% of health outcomes are determined by you know, things that don't happen in the doctor's office, in the hospital, or at the pharmacy counter. So those that's a combination of social factors, environmental factors, and your genetics as well. Behaviors and social determinants of health, those are things that we can really impact. And access to healthy food is one really critical social determinant of health. Um, Nutrition is one of the most impactful social determinants of health, and it's one of the most highly reported gaps in needs for individuals. So, to see um, health plans saying we're going to think outside the box, and you know, instead of only paying for for medical and uh, pharmaceutical costs um, or care, we're going to extend that and start to address these social and uh, environmental factors, and even other factors. Um, that can help drive health outcomes uh, that's really new and innovative and it's just wonderful to see
0: i think people don't really understand who is going out without food are there really yeah folks and and then then there is the issue too that they have access to food but not good right. food right. <laughs> not right. quality food correct right. so talk to a little more about mm-hmm. about that situation who's missing the meals mm-hmm. why
1: right so um we know that uh, you know over forty million households are facing food insecurity all of the time. This is more than half of older adults. Um, they're coming into the hospital malnourished. And, uh, and and you know, the more risk factors you have, so let's say you have one chronic condition, that's a risk factor. If you have, Several chronic conditions even more of a risk factor. So that makes common sense because if you are spending time and money caring for your chronic condition, you're filling five to ten medications, making it to your doctor's appointments. You know you're making trade-offs, right? Because there there's a cost that goes along with that. And so it's prevalent, it's widespread, it's it's under-reported. Uh, you know, I would say that uh, you know some of the initiatives with kind of the the focus on social determinants of health has been around screening and documentation of these needs, and we're really happy to see that. So it is uh, you know, more than half of older adults you know, they're facing malnutrition.
0: I got an email from a doctor yesterday because here at NCQA we put out a communication about asking folks mm-hmm. asking plans to weigh in on what they're doing about this issue as soon as we sent out the sort of flash email promoting that blog article, I got an email. And it was from a doctor. And it surprised me. He said, I didn't fill out your survey because I'm not a health plan, but I wanted to, you know, weigh in a little bit and tell you that it doesn't, you know, uh, dealing with the social determinants of health doesn't mean referring them to a food bank and you're done.
1: Mm -hmm. Right.
0: He says there has to be some way of, measuring the closing of the loop. Yes.
1: yes. Tell
0: me about that. Absolutely.
1: That so uh, it's wonderful that you had a physician reach out. I mean, obviously, our healthcare providers are the ones on the front lines working with patients every day. Um, health plans, they're the payers. And so today we see an opportunity. There is a disconnect between if there's an available benefit at the health plan, and providers who may be treating members of those health plans. Providers you know, may be having conversations with patients, members of their care team may be assessing for some social needs. Today, they're unaware if there is a paid benefit that they could refer their patient into. Now that would be uh, ideal, right? If, if, you know, and, and at mom's meals, we get calls from, you know, hospitals, from ACOs, from providers, very often they say, I, you know, I've read these studies. I believe that, uh, you know, a, a nutrition intervention is going to help with the clinical outcomes for my patients. And, you know, how can I, how can I find out about a program? And, and we discuss that. But we also say, you know, let's help you with the handshake with your providers for whom you're, you're in their network and find out if there's that paid benefit. Because often, you know, it may be there and whether that's an LTSS benefit, whether that's a post-discharge benefit, whether that's a chronic care benefit, there may be something that's already accessible. So, you know, yes, ideally we would love to see physicians, other healthcare providers, you know, I'm a registered dietitian, we would love to see dietitians out there doing this as well, writing a prescription for healthy food, you know, healthy food delivered to the home that flows through the EHR, that, you know, gets a referral, um, it's paid for, and, you know, that's no cost to the member, and that, that flows right, right to the patient. Um, so that's ideally what we would like to see. I think we're on the path there, but there is certainly some opportunity between providers and payers in understanding if there is a benefit and how to access that benefit. Talk to
0: me about Mom's Meals and how it works with plans.
1: Sure, sure. Uh, so at Mom's Meals, we have three primary lines of business, so we support health plans and caring for their members really in three ways. The one that we've done the longest is that long-term care support. So if somebody qualifies for LTSS, so that's the long-term services and supports or the home and community-based services waiver, um, meals are most often uh, a part of that program. And so these meals are made to help adults age in place in their homes for as long as possible people with disabilities to remain independent at home for as long as possible. And this is, this is really win-win. Uh, you know, that's where people want to be. They want to be at home. They want to feel independent, be independent. And then it's also a win for health plans because, you know, keeping members in their homes with services coming to them um, is a lot lower cost than institutionalization.
0: The meal is what? Is it a frozen meal? They get several of them delivered a week or do they get them every night? Sure,
1: sure. So uh, at Mom's Meals, we do not have frozen meals. That's oh, wow. one of the uh, big well, differentiators. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a big differentiator for us. So all of our meals are refrigerated. So mm-hmm. they come in a insulated refrigerator temperature cooler that's delivered right to the member's doorstep, and those meals go into the refrigerator where typically people have more space. Mm-hmm. You know, the freezer tends to be smaller and pretty crowded already. So they go right into the refrigerator. Uh, they get entrees, they get side dishes, drinks you know, and and the meals are really easy to heat and eat in a microwave. So again, fully prepared and refrigerated, and then they are condition appropriate. So, uh, you know, we know that most of our aging adults have one or more chronic conditions, um, you know, more than 80%. And so, uh, you know, we have nine condition appropriate menus. So general wellness, uh, just for people who need a healthy pattern of eating, follows the dietary guidelines for Americans, everything from diabetes friendly, lower sodium, if you have you know hypertension or heart failure, um, heart-friendly, also lower in fat, saturated fat. We have pureed. If you have chewing, swallowing problems, if you have dentures, for example, or have had oral surgery. We've got gluten-free. We've got renal diets. I mean, that one in particular, if you have chronic kidney disease or you're on dialysis, it's really difficult to follow that diet because you know, the, the nutrients you need to be concerned about don't even show up on food labels. Mm. And so, you know, to be able to, um, you know, just get a healthy meal, know it's right for you and your condition. Um, it really takes the guesswork out of it for patients, for members. And, uh, you know, they're able to follow their, their dietary instructions a lot easier. And, um, also, you know, it's more affordable for them certainly. So, and then, you know, in addition, uh, you know, we talked about kind of the, the three ways we help plans. So the LTSS, or long-term care meals, is one. Um, but what we're seeing, uh, you know, sort of the most growth in right now are um, two other categories. So one are the post-discharge meals. So post-acute situation, you're, you know, transitioning from an inpatient stay at a hospital, uh, sniff or rehab. rehab yeah. Yep. back to home. And uh, this is going to help you two to four weeks after discharge, rest, recover avoid that 30-day readmission that all cause readmission. no one wants this patient to be you know walking to the store jumping on a bus, driving, carrying heavy grocery bags moving around the kitchen. Right. so you know that nutrition really helps them rest and recover after discharge and then the third are chronic care meals. in this uh, this this is a longer benefit on the Medicaid side, it's for the non LTSS member on the Medicare Advantage side. For members who have a chronic disease, so typically that's about twelve weeks worth of meals, two to three meals a day, and it helps individuals to get their chronic condition under control. To
0: stay on that diet. Yes,
1: and at, during that time, you know they are learning what a healthy portion is like. They're trying some new foods. For those with diabetes, they're learning about you know the right balance of macronutrients, the carbs to proteins to fats, you know that they should be consuming. Um, with that meal and and you know these these programs also don't only extend to those with chronic conditions like heart disease diabetes renal disease you know on the Medicaid side for members who just need longer-term support like uh, high risk pregnancy so that you know with the increase in um, maternal mortality rates in this country that's a big focus for us with our with our um, Medicaid partners right now Um, so just you know women having a high-risk pregnancy gestational diabetes preeclampsia expecting twins or triplets or on bed rest these healthy meals really help them get to a full-term birth, and uh, make sure mom and baby are healthy. And they even extend after mom goes home. From the if hospital. for no
0: other reason, I bet that just relieves some stress. Absolutely, for the, for the uh, uh, would-be mother. Right. And right?
1: Medicaid pays for more than half of births in the U.S. today. So to prevent that NICU stay and, you know, keep women healthy and prevent maternal mortality, it's just a wonderful program.
0: No, what you don't know at home is that uh, Catherine supplied me with a sort of a outline of things to, uh to discuss and uh it was what's very well, interesting I come prepared, Matt. yeah I mean, yeah i can tell because what's very interesting for me i have the the uh outline and Catherine doesn't and yet she's following the outline <laughs> to the t so she did come prepared uh, <laughs> Dietitians so, are
1: known to be detail-oriented.
0: <laughs> apparently. Who knew? Um, I, I guess a lot of folks are, are about to find out uh, over, over uh, with this changing climate. Talk about policy. How mm-hmm. is policy and the policymakers uh, in state governments and the federal government, and then of course for plans, how are they impacting the growth of these sort of programs?
1: Sure. Um, Since you said growth, I'll start on the Medicare Advantage side. So, um, you know, there have been some just wonderful policy changes in the last year uh, to really help with uh, increased flexibility for designing a benefits program. And just being here in Washington, you know, we're – we're able to, to you know, and, and typically I'm not here in Washington. Mm-hmm. Our company's in, in Iowa, and, but just, you know, you and I are here in Washington mm-hmm. today, so it's, it's top of mind, you know, how those policy impacts um, really affect members and, and payers. And on the Medicare Advantage side, um, with the passage of the Chronic Care Act almost three years ago now, that was really turned into policy through the uh, new flexibility in 2019, um, which was sort of solidified in the 2020 call letter uh, with a new category of benefit called special supplemental benefits for the chronically ill. And the Chronic Care Act really said, you know, we know the rise in Medicare spend is taking care of members with common chronic conditions. And we need to do more. And we need to individualize the benefits around these members. Um, You know, typically Medicare benefits had been uniform. Everyone on the health plan got exactly the same benefit. But we know from a cost perspective, that's not necessarily common sense. So with the passage of this act and CMS really um, you know putting that down in the call letter and, and naming this new category of benefit as special supplemental benefits for the chronically ill, it got rid of uniformity and, and said, you know, for members with chronic conditions, health plans, you can define um, the benefit you want to wrap around that individual member. So even if two members had diabetes, one may get access to you know a nutrition program like mom's meals and another may not just based on their level of risk. And so to qualify for a SSBCI benefit, a member has to um, have a chronic condition, they have to uh, be at risk for hospitalization, and they have to require care coordination. And then a health plan beyond that could layer on additional criteria, like they could be food insecure, or they could have a social determinative health need. Um, they don't have to, but that's sort of the baseline criteria. You know, with that, they can provide these uh, provide these benefits along with others, like Transportation, like home modifications, installing grab bars and showers, for example, and uh, they're really able to be creative and say, "How are we going to prevent hospitalizations?" Which is where you know kind of that spend comes in. So it's it's this great way of saying we're going to you know devote more cost upstream to prevent the downstream spend, which is where that growth and cost is. So
0: where the big money is. Yeah. Uh. So
1: that you know Medicare Advantage, this policy change has been just, you know, kind of groundbreaking um, to see kind of this new innovation around caring for members with chronic diseases and addressing more than their medical needs. These are non-medical benefits. They're categorized that way. They're paid for out of medical spend, not to confuse everyone there, but they are categorized as um, as non-medical.
0: Hmm. So we know that commercial plans tend to follow Medicare, sometimes slowly, sometimes quicker. What, what is the... Uh for Medicare and, and I guess, I mean, for uh, commercial plans and for Medicaid, what, what's the outlook there?
1: Sure. Well, uh, I can go to commercial next. So mm-hmm. um, we do see um, group retiree plans um, having interest in these kinds of programs. And, you know, those are going to be aging adults, people with more chronic conditions. Um, we are starting to see other interest um, just within the commercial population. So looking at conditions that are prevalent and uh, that can be prevented, you know, look at prediabetes, for example, prevent the progression to diabetes. Um, Certainly things like diabetes, um, we have, you know, uh, cancer support meals and and others. So certainly, you know, that can support uh, employees uh, that are out there and help prevent costs as well. No real policy change there to Mm -hmm. speak of, but there is growing interest. As you said, you know, commercial does tend to follow Medicare. Mm -hmm. On the Medicaid side, I think we, have, we see um, some pretty big opportunities. So uh, on the state side with the LTSS meals, not every state has meals a part of their LTSS benefit. And, uh, you know, that's sort of a great opportunity. So we, um, we encourage um, state Medicaid departments to include meals as part of any LTSS benefit. And another big opportunity is if you think outside of the LTSS or the waiver population where there is a path to payment, those programs exist. And if meals are a part, you know, meals can be paid for. Um, But take the the example I gave about high-risk pregnancy, for example. So if you're looking at a non-LTSS Medicaid population, there's not a path to payment today. Uh, so these meals, uh, you know, you'll have um, CMOs at the, at the plan and, and uh, you know, that just that clinical team or, or others saying, you know, the quality team saying, we need to do something, this is a great idea, we really want to include meals as part of our benefit. Right now, they're paying for those out of admin dollars so um, we know that health plans want to you know pay for this kind of thing out of medical spend and admin dollars can can pose a challenge internally for plans sometimes you know they need to adhere to their medical loss ratio Um, you know their compliance department might say this is not an administrative cost so there's an opportunity as well on the medicaid side to say we want to pay for social determinants of health. We want to pay for things like meals programs outside of a waiver, outside of LTS. And how can we do that? Um, how can we do that easily? That's a barrier right now for some Medicaid plans to adding this kind of benefit. So we we're encouraging those kinds of policy changes. You know, in some of the conversations we've been having uh, on the Hill,
0: and and willing to help with with I imagine resources on. Uh, how to put these programs in place or at least how you're doing it with others
1: absolutely and that's I think one of the strengths that we can bring to the table is because we work with so many different health plans and providers we can see where there are gaps and uh, you know where where there may be an opportunity to make a change to to benefit you know so many programs so we're working both at the state and, and federal level
0: it must be so rewarding because like you said you've been doing this a very long time yes. and finally yeah. it yeah. must be very rewarding that folks are sort of jumping on board.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we, we all feel that, um, at Mom's Meals, it's a very mission driven company. Uh, so you have people who are very dedicated and, um, you know, we've, we've got, um, Yes, we've got a team that uh, is is very dedicated to that.
0: If you're a member of a quality team for a plan, a quality improvement team, everything you do revolves around improving the outcome numbers. Right. We hope everyone feels that way, right? Absolutely. But these people are specifically assigned. What, What do you think... They need to, you know, the sort of best practices to set up a program to get it going. Uh, what needs to be there?
1: Sure, uh, and we love when the the quality team really comes forward and says, you know, we see an opportunity. Uh, you know, we want to, um, we want to improve our HEDIS, or if you're a, you know, Medicare plan, we want to add another half a star. We, we see there's an opportunity. Understanding sort of the quality measures that a nutrition program can can help you improve. Are important and and we know certainly the readmissions, the prevention of hospitalization, um, blood sugar control, blood pressure control, um, even things like caps. You know, people members love meals programs, certainly. But you know, kind of kind of the really big one is around the the hospitalization and the prevention there. That quality team can identify. Here's where you know we can really move the needle. Here's why this is a great idea. Um, you know, we can help kind of build that, build that case with the quality team. And then, um, you know, they can say, you know, let's use Medicare for an example, you know, work with their partners on the product team to say, we would love to get, uh, you know, a meals program in as part of the product. And, uh, you know, from there, you sort of go to your benefit design, you know, you're, you're looking at, you're talking to your analysts, what are other benefits like out there, you're talking to you know, mom's meals or potential partners in that area. And then you conceptualize your benefit. And then you're going to, you know, work with your actuaries and price that in. You're going to work with your operations team, design your workflows, and you're going to get that launched. So we we work with our health plan partners sort of all the way through that process.
0: Does it turn out to be easier or harder for for plans when they're working with you than they expect? Easier. Really?
1: Yeah. I, I think, you know, a lot of integrations with a partner require very extensive, labor intensive, costly IT integration. We can integrate through technology if that's gonna make things easier for you, but we also don't need to at all. Uh, So referrals can come to us in a variety of ways. Some, you know, we can, again, like I said, we can just get a file, we can get a form, um, we can integrate in some way, but, you know, very simply, you could say, I just wanna try this program. We're gonna use a referral form, we're gonna securely email that to you or or e-fax that to you and we're ready to go. So you could literally put this in if you're on the quality team. You could say, I wanna run a quality improvement program uh, that uses home delivered meals to get out one of these quality measures, and I'm gonna test that this year. I'm gonna see if it works. And you can have that program up and running in two weeks by sending us a form with referrals for your members that you want on meals. So it, it can be as low cost and as quick as that. So I would say, you know, most will say, you guys are really easy to work with.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, good, that's good to hear. Let's talk about what you think the biggest opportunity or innovation in this sort of tackling of social determinants of health is in the, let's say the near future, in the next sort of five years.
1: Right, and we touched on this a bit already, but the biggest innovation really is in, you know, treating chronic disease through nutrition. Um, You know, today, 76% of physician visits result in the prescription for a drug. Most of those drugs are for treating common chronic conditions, and you know people are self-managing those conditions at home every day. And they're taking a drug to do so, which is critical. I mean, that's really important. we We want people to be adherent to their medications. But lifestyle goes along with that. Remember that these common chronic t- conditions are lifestyle driven, heart disease, diabetes, uh, et cetera, even um, you know kidney disease flowing from from diabetes. And, uh, and lifestyle needs to be part of that solution. And we, you know, just being a dietitian for, you know, 25 years, um, nutrition education is so important. Um, however, it, you know, it, it hasn't moved the needle substantially. Um, we need to make it easier for people to, to eat better, and that means, you know, for some people, fully prepared, meals delivered right to their doorstep. Uh, making it easier by making it more affordable. Making it easier by you know taking the guesswork out of label reading, especially when again certain nutrients aren't even on labels. So to the you know to to see in the future that a physician can write a prescription or you know or a dietitian or a nurse practitioner you know here's the diet you need to follow to better care for your heart failure, um, you know your chronic kidney disease, your diabetes, etc. You know that goes into the EMR you know, that flows to the health plan. Uh, The meals go right to the member's doorstep. And um, that is the prescription for healthy eating. In my mind, that's the biggest innovation that could come. and, And we're on the road there.
0: That's really good to hear. Thank you so much for joining us. Catherine McPherson of Mom's Meals, based in Iowa, but Catherine's from Oregon, (laughs) (laughs) or travels from Oregon, uh, to visit with us. We uh, appreciate you being here. Thanks so much, man. And we do hope you'll come back. Uh, Before we go, I want to tell you about where you need to be April 28th. You need to be in Washington, just like Catherine is, and you need to join us for Quality Talks 2020. We have a speaker for that who really is great on the social determinants of health, and especially minority maternal issues So her name is Dr. Joya Creer-Perry. She has appeared on this podcast. I highly advise you to listen to that. But I also advise you to come to Quality Talks, where we will be talking about this. And you can sign up at qualitytalks.org, www.qualitytalks.org. So thank you for joining us on this edition of Inside Healthcare. I'm Matt Brock. We'll see you again, no doubt.